1: Little bit about SKUCon. The one-day conference will be held on Sunday, January 13th, conveniently scheduled right before the PPAI expo. SQCon is the industry's inspirational kickoff event for entrepreneurs and mavericks. It's hosted at the beautiful Keep Memory Alive Center in Las Vegas. The all-day conference features some of the most progressive and imaginative speakers in the industry. The lineup includes Ryan Moore from Rionet, Larry Cohen from Axis Promotions, Lauren Borelli Fitzgerald from Canary, Kevin Mullaney from Brandito. Jillian Hammond from Brandfuel. Luke Freeman from Wizard Creation. Mark, this is a long list. Eric Granada from Robin Promotions. Yvonne Lingus-Zeman from Monarch and & Company. Andy Thorne and Sarah Penn all the way from the UK and Outstanding Branding. Steve Rohn from Snugs USA. Charity Gibson from Peerless Umbrella. Jay Busel from Printa Systems and Promo Chat. Pierre Martichot from Chameleon-Like and Brittany Gotzi from Gold Bond. What an incredible lineup of fantastic, energetic people. It's so exciting to
0: plan for the event. And, you know, Bobby, you and I play a big role in putting together the content and the scheduling. And I, you know, it, we probably start, I would say, eight months in advance when it comes to thinking eight to 10 months in advance, in terms of thinking about the content and, you know, have like a big, wish list of of uh, topics and and speakers right. it's such a thrill to think about who can be on stage and it's a real thrill when when we ask people that they're excited about coming it's a true honor because i think that what we tried to do was how could we create this event where we could have real industry speakers come up and present in an environment where they feel really safe to share key parts of their business. Right. And, and, and I think that that creates a very inspirational environment and um, it's a real thrill for, I think you and me, given our distributor backgrounds that we can also kind of participate in, in some of these day-to-day experiences that these great distributors and suppliers are sharing from the stage.
1: Yeah. And we're always trying to think through ways that it can be obviously a departure from the norm, sort of an unconference around the conference. So we've got some surprises built in there. We're not going to divulge those here uh, right now, but we've got some interesting surprises in the way the format is and the way it's going to be structured and a few of the things that we're throwing in there. Also, Mark, you've been really big about this and we talk about it every year, but I think it's important context is really important. So it's always been important that we host this at a beautiful facility or creative or funky or something kind of, you know, edgy that sort of reflects the community. And in this case, this is a beautiful creative venue. The uh, architecture and the building in the room itself is, is pretty inspiring at the Keep Memory Alive Center. So that's going to be
0: fun too. When I was looking at this space around 18 months ago, I knew that A, it was great for us because it allowed us to expand. But I think at the yeah. same time, always conscious of the fact that we don't want to expand for the sake of expanding because then we start to right. ruin the the, the small community-oriented vibe that I think CommonSkew has always been about. So this idea of scaling with intimacy, I think, is something that everyone here at CommonSkew has always been really focused on. And I think that one of the ways that you can scale with int- intimacy right. is finding a great venue that is like almost a creative foil for the event and uh this, right. this center right. is is you know it was designed by uh, internationally renowned frank geary it's amazing that we were actually able to even get it right. anyone who's listening to this you can either check out skewcon.com or just go and google image uh, keep memory alive center in las vegas and you'll see what we're talking about it's like one room with these swooping ceilings yeah you know, we'll have a good number of people there, but the way the room is set up really encourages this intimacy in terms of connections. I I think it's going to be a real thrill, a beautiful light-filled venue and just absolutely uh, unique. So (laughs) I'm hoping that we can call this place home for the next, uh, you know, little bit for SKUCon.
1: This conference usually sells out pretty quickly. So it will be held on Sunday, January 13th, right before Expo. You can learn more at skewcon.com. We encourage you to get those tickets early. We're so proud. Mark, this is something that's kind of always we talk about as we plan this thing we're really proud of the community itself and and just how many people gather together there. I'm always impressed at the caliber of professionals that show up at this conference and at SKU Camp conferences. They're just so inspiring to me. And I think that's a large part of the reason why this conference keeps selling out year after year is because of the type of folks that are gathering there. Um, You kind of want to rub shoulders with these folks and think with them and and be inspired to learn with them. Because we're not just there to hear speakers. We're there obviously to connect with you each other and connect with like-minded folks. So that's something I've I've been really, I know you've been proud of and I've been really proud of too, to be a part of and to be in the mix. I think one final point to this uh, notion about SkewCon
0: is thinking about where it came from. And the the whole idea years ago was to create an offline version of the digital community that we had created. And when common skew first got started, there was a thriving community online and that community is still thriving and quite a bit larger now but back then it was really a thrill to be connected with all of these great suppliers and distributors on the commonsq platform and the shame was that we didn't see each other all that often m- maybe if at all and so the thinking was if we could put together a reason to get a large number of those people together in a room for inspiration, education, and networking, and also a lot of collaboration and sharing of ideas by getting great, inspiring people to make presentations on stage, that that would be a great excuse for an event. And and that was really the DNA of how it all got started and i think that you still see that dna and is quite core to what we've got uh, what we have today and why it it continues to be such a thrill to to host this event
1: Uh, so i do encourage folks to hop on to skewcon.com and uh, check out the site get those tickets early you bet so mark moving on to today's skewcast this uh this skewcast is kind of an interesting topic that just sort of exploded if you will out into the market let me give some context here before we get into this today we began a series on engagement commerce we're pleasantly surprised i should say at the response in the market because this really resonated with with folks it was a series we started on engagement commerce this began with uh the skewcast episode that we recorded on the future of b2b e-commerce from there we started a series on engagement commerce, including posts like how to scale consultative selling through engagement commerce, KO'd by 4imprint, how to you know beat the e-commerce business model, the new e commerce is engagement commerce. So we did these series of posts, Mark, but we got a lot of positive feedback from folks on this series, and it really resonated with them. What was your impression from the response to, from the market? I mean, I think it's always,
0: it's always kind of neat when you – come up with a a term or a philosophy or an idea and have people respond to it, right? Like whether they read it, whether they agree with it, whether they disagree with it. I I think that that's sort of the the first thing that I would say, because I I know as idea people, you and me, uh, to to use an example, throw lots of ideas out there. And and a lot of them aren't very good. And, And I think in this yeah. case it was kind. It was neat to be able to express something that resonated, and I think that I'm not entirely surprised because yeah. it's something that we've been talking about for some time. Not just you and me, but I've also validated and talked about this with a number of other people inside and outside of our industry. And I also think the reality is, is that you see engagement commerce, or at least the way we define engagement commerce. It's not like Common Skew or Right Sleeve or Brand Fuel or any of these companies invented it. You're seeing this happen in B2B and B2C today. And I think it was a matter of seeing yeah. what was happening in the landscape today, recognizing that it was a trend and understanding how that right. applied to the promotional products industry, because the promotional products industry is grappling with relevancy to the modern customer and 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 particularly in this digital age and like what does that mean what does the modern customer really want do they want a four imprint experience at two in the morning in their bathrobe when they're buying a hundred coffee cups without any interaction whatsoever do they really want that or do they really want to have that in-person time-consuming meeting with a salesperson that's going to go show a bunch of samples and a bunch of catalogs do they want that either or maybe they want something in the middle that leverages the creativity and relationship building of a, of a, of a great strategic distributor mixed with the highly efficient digital tools yeah. that we have been trained on through Amazon for imprint discount mugs, all of these great platforms. And, and I, I just think that there's magic in the middle. Yeah. And as I say, we, we didn't invent it. <laughs> We're seeing this with, Companies at B two B and right. B two C, right. and, it's happening. And, right. and, and, and uh, but we're I think that in. we're trying right. to draw a line back to our industry because I think that's what people like you and I do because we spend yeah. our time in the industry, and uh, and I and I love the fact that there's been a right. positive reaction because it means that more people are talking about it. It's not just Bobby and Mark's <laughs> idea. More people in the industry are talking about it and celebrating it, and it then becomes the basis on which our industry can continue to grow, which is the most important thing of all.
1: Yeah, and for folks that are kind of tuning in for the first time, engagement commerce is about marrying the efficiency of the traditional e-commerce company with all the strategic and creative advice of the classic distributor. So a distributor who solves their customers' problems and brings real value, but who also brings a streamlined system to to the buying experience, too. Mark, you know, you and I have been doing sessions. We've done speaking engagements, podcasts for a long time. Often what happens to us as we start to explore a topic is that our way of discovering is actually creating. Uh, A lot of writers are this way, right? I I think it was uh, Wallace Stegner said, how do I know what I think until I see what I say? And so you and I do this a lot with some of the creative material that we write or or that we speak on. And one of the things is I always like to ask folks that are in the roles that we are. And what did you learn through this process? You sort of thought you had a handle on it, then you started to explore it more. What I learned, what I learned is that we've allowed e-commerce to have the upper hand when it's actually not only is it two different, entirely different businesses, but I actually think we gave superiority to e-commerce when it didn't deserve that kind of superiority in the b two b buyer's mind but right. we gave it because we were so threatened by Amazon and we're still threatened by the Walmarts of the world and all of those that are coming in crashing into the business um but it just wasn't it just wasn't the threat that we thought it was not only that but we actually realized that engagement commerce is where it's at for the future of the business the reason why we're going through this sort of discussion again is Mark and I recorded an episode about engagement commerce and you're hopping in the middle of it you're you're about to hop in the middle of our conversation that we had about engagement commerce. And we sort of wanted to set this up a little bit and kind of give some context.
0: here's an idea, right? And a lot of our conversations, either good or bad conversations, are when we're throwing stuff against the wall and we're thinking out loud. But I but I think I'm onto something right. here. So th- th- this whole idea about this new sexy thing and it's e-commerce in this particular case. Um you're arguing that it has uh a, it, it has taken the upper hand and it is allowed and it has forced uh, the industry on the defensive and as a result, it has redefined the industry through this inferiority position because we're not Amazon, right? But here's what's interesting. I remember my first couple of years in the industry. So this would have been, you know, maybe a little less than 20 years ago in late nineties, early two thousands, this was before e-commerce was really, you know, a thing. Uh, Amazon, I think, yeah. you know, was just in its, you know, I- I- infancy, but every conversation was around company stores like company stores were the new yeah. emerging exciting thing and they were company stores that were done online okay and I remember going to an ASI show I remember going to the expo and I remember everyone was talking about store store, stores if you don't have them you're dead buyers want them they want to have this integrated purchasing experience and if, if you're not on that train and you're not using x y or z software you're done and I remember always thinking about that and never fully embracing the concept. I was like, I get stores, but I don't know that that's necessarily the business I want to be in as Right sleeve, whether I was an idiot or whether I was a genius. It just, it didn't feel like the kind of business I wanted to fully jump into. Maybe I was intimidated by the fulfillment side of it. Maybe I was intimidated by the costs. Maybe I just didn't feel um, that that was really the unique value proposition that I brought to the table as a distributor. So with that, I actually feel you can draw a line between the sexiness and the predominance of company stores almost 20 years ago as being similar to what we're experiencing now with transactional e-commerce. That if if you don't have it, then all of a sudden you're irrelevant. And here's the reality, that if you look at company store business, and while it's it's a decent chunk of the business, the vast majority of the industry, and this is validated by PPAI numbers, Is When I talk about vast majority, we're talking 70-ish percent still is non-transactional e-commerce and non-web store business. So I think that we tried to make this argument to say, there's no question there's an exciting space within company store and e-commerce. But I've always been a lot more exciting about the biggest slice of the market. And how can you go after that biggest slice Mm -hmm. of the market with with a progressive Uh, hybrid approach that marries strategy, creativity, as well as digital efficiency, like that's where I want to put my money on. I don't necessarily want to put my money on competing with 4imprint. 4imprint is incredible. I don't want to compete with them. I want to compete in my own space where I know that I can reposition myself against those fantastic competitors. And I also don't want to go be competing with BDA or Robin or uh, Axis, all these great company store distributors that have already created these great infrastructures and foundations, um, the market doesn't need another great company store provider. The market needs someone that can go and dominate and be relevant to the modern customer in this 70% of the market that I still think is right for the picking.
1: So without uh, further ado, um, this is a conversation Mark and I recorded a few weeks ago on the subject of engagement commerce you're hopping in the middle of the conversation but i think i think there's some decent takeaways here for you as we start to grapple and really learn not only that this is the business that most of us are in but this is the future of the business i think that's one of the most exciting things so we hope you give this a listen and thanks for tuning in
0: I think in today's market, we have traditional e-commerce as defined by Amazon for imprint discount mugs, branders, e-promos. But then the question is, what does the other side of that look like? What does the age of creative and strategic promotional product selling look like in a digital world? And I think that the, the answer, the knee jerk answer up until now has been to offer a four imprint style website. So that way a distributor can be relevant to their young Amazon obsessed B2B buyer. And I don't know that that's necessarily the whole story. And I think that that's why we're, I think that's why we're exploring this. And by no means is it saying that we need to return to great customer service and, you know, in-person selling. I think that that's a part of it, but I think that some of that stuff is a little bit Quaint, but it's like how how does the distributor that right. does not necessarily want to go down that four imprint route, what are the alternatives for them in this highly digital world where the buyer is expecting some kind of digital efficiency? They may be digital natives themselves, but are they are they really looking right. for a four imprint style experience? Is that is that really what every modern B2B buyer is looking for? And I think the answer to that is no. I think the other option that distributors will offer are company stores. And Bobby, I mean, this is your background. You're, you're much more well-versed in this than me. So if you're like Robin, Robin didn't necessarily have a four imprint style presence. I know you had swag experts, so m- maybe I'm wrong in that. But your main source of revenue was around online company stores. So some distributors will say, well, hey, I'm not going to be for imprint, but I'm going to offer this great B2B online experience through company store. So I've got that box checked. But I think it goes beyond that in in terms of like all the custom and all the dropship business and all the stuff that doesn't fall into that pure transactional e-commerce style business. And I think that that's the the other segment that we're really trying to explore that marries creativity, strategy right. and digital efficiency.
1: Absolutely. Well, Craig Dunlap, co-founder of Dallas-based distributor, Meyer Dunlap, we published an episode, uh, episode 71, Making Magic. Um, and Craig had a really great comment. We 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 often think of as uh, B2B, as the service that we're, we're providing for our customers as the alternative to e-commerce. But what Craig posited was that The method used by fast-responding distributors today has the promise to be easier than e-commerce. And he was saying in the episode, it's superior to e-commerce. And that's sort of an attitude that the market of distributors hasn't really taken because we've been so threatened by the takeover of an Amazonian-like entity that we've allowed it to make us cower in fear at that kind of a, a disruption to the business when the fact of the matter is... The promise of a, of a superior method is already still there. And, and I think it's played out when you look at the, the impact that e-commerce has not had on the industry. And I'm not suggesting I'm burying my head in the sand. Um, it, it will continue to increase, but it's not it had the impact that we thought it would.
0: So do you think that it's true that there's a herd mentality out there? And is that Absolutely. driven by, by, by fear and maybe a lack of understanding of what the alternative is?
1: Absolutely. I mean, what's the difference, you know, 4imprint just became the common, uh, the largest and most common competitor that we all shared. But when you look at the market share that they have, it's tiny compared to the overall promise of the business. So 20 years ago, you were getting competitive bids or ideas from other competitors. It just happens to be foreign print is one commonality that we all share. So the echo chamber is so alive and well in the business that we tend to rattle this idea around. But look at what's winning, actually, still winning is this, this, at the core of B2C e-commerce is the transaction, but at the core of B2B e-commerce is the process plus partnership. And we're talking about, and this is what's a little bit frustrating when you talk about the industry, because the industry has, is a fragmentation of different types of services and business models. So we're not all the same. So you have, you have your traditional 50-50 split commission, force, large organization, that's a different animal than the fulfillment company that's doing company stores or the creative agency. So we suddenly splinter into these specialties, but we still share this common sort of enemy, if you will, even though they're not uh, a, a foreign imprint. And then that gets rattled in the echo chamber and, and uh, it becomes sort of a, I actually think it's a red herring. We're, we're focusing on the wrong parts of the conversation. We're focusing on the threat and we're not focusing on what we can fix.
0: Right. So I'm just taking a look at uh, the ASI top 40, which I think for for the sake of this discussion is probably the best source of publicly available information. And you see the top Distributor is Staples at $592 million. So these are 2017 numbers. So I'm assuming that these numbers are going to be be higher for 2018 as the economy has been good for, for our industry. So Staples is definitely not an e-commerce player. There's no question they're very big in traditional company store programs, like the kind of business that that Robin uh, thrived in. Um, number two is Four imprint. So they're doing 540. I think it'll be really interesting to see whether they for uh, imprint eclipses staples this year. Yeah. There's a possibility they may. Okay. Th- th- I think there's a reason why people look at for imprint and are nervous about them because they've been fast growing and they could be the biggest distributor promotional products next year. Then going down the list, you see the traditional national accounts and franchise groups. You see Simpress, which is the company behind Vistaprint. So they're number eight. Then you've got Discount Mugs. They're number nine. Then you don't see an online player until way down the list. I think the next one you see is ePromos at spot 34. And they're doing 48.2 million. So they're a tenth of the size of, of for imprint And then you have the only other one that I would put into a classic eCommerce commerce Uh, distributor would be Zorch. Uh, They're number 39 out of 40. And Zorch is kind of an e-commerce player. They've got a little bit of a unique model, a little different than the other ones, but I could put them in in that group. So that's not burying your head in the sand. But what's interesting is that all the other players on here, I would say are on here because they're either... uh, franchisors like your proformas your halos your geigers that have assembled a group of much smaller distributors and as a network of traditional distributors they they add all their sales up and they're large
1: right
0: online at all and then uh, the rest of the folks that are on here are the ones that have grown through the traditional company store program business so bda is a great example of that um um, uh, Inner Workings is another good example of that. Jack Nadel. So uh, all great companies. But what's interesting is that the industry is still predominantly made up of these more traditional outfits. And so I think my point is that e-commerce is certainly making a dent, but to suggest it's overwhelmed the industry, I think is a gross miscalculation.
1: Right. And even to clarify a little further, um, I would say that the, to, to, to clarify a little further what e-commerce really means, we're talking about shopping cart purchasing. So when you, even when you look at the company store model, it's, it's not purely e-commerce in my mind, because it's more about supply chain management for brand and materials. It's a, it's, it's supply chain m- management. It's, it's not necessarily, it's not a four imprint model. It's the shopping cart is a tiny part of that overall process. But one thing that is, one thing that we can't bury our head in the sand about and it's the, probably one of the biggest problems in almost every single distributorship almost no it's one of the biggest problems in the in the average distributorship and that is that the buying process is broken and is ripe for disruption because the B to C the B2b buyer is bringing in their B2 C buying habits. And these purchasing, they're, they're bringing in their consumer purchasing influences into the buying process when they buy promotional products. And where they're noticing mostly the pain and the friction is in the area of speed. So the pace at which a customer buys now is on demand. They require immediate answers. And according to the Ironbag, Ironberg Bass Institute of Marketing Science Report, consumers spend an average of 13 seconds making a purchasing decision in-store that's with brands they're familiar with. And when making a purchasing decision online, the average consumer spends nineteen seconds to to decide, nineteen seconds to decide. So w- one of the huge problems in our business is that at the heart of the process part of the equation is 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 an uh, intense amount of friction, an intense amount of friction. And if we don't resolve that, then we are putting ourselves in a position. I actually think most clients resort. To a shopping cart experience, because two things: number one, they're not getting enough creative ideas from their distributor in a timely manner, but also they're a little frustrated and exacerbated by the process.
0: Right, right. So, so you're you come to purchase promotional products with uh, a looking for cool, creative, innovative ideas. So that's why you go to your distributor, and your distributor comes back to you with terrible ideas. Right. So that, that's problem number one. Problem number two is that even if that distributor that you're working with has got great ideas and has distinguished themselves based on that, um, the, 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 the way in which they interact with you is outdated and laced with friction. Absolutely. I think that, that's what you're Absolutely.
1: saying. Absolutely. So, so you've, got, you've got several things going there. You've got cluttered PDFs with too many products. You've got multiple emails that absolutely aggravate the busy buyer. And this is all along the process from the initial ideation phase through to production and proofing. You've got these cumbersome proofing processes. You have one thing that we don't talk about enough. We have this lack of shareability of ideas with colleagues. So B2B buys safe and they buy by consensus. It particularly apparel, which is 30 to 40% of the industry. Nobody makes for a corporation a, an apparel decision alone unless they know for sure and have been there a while and are familiar with the, the product. But even then, they'll consult even if it's just, it's just one colleague. But there's this lack of shareability of ideas. And then we haven't even gotten to the invoicing phase, which there's so many discrepancies in freight and overruns. But you look at the process. And here's the here's the challenge that most folks, by the way, before I get into that, what else do you see broken in the, in the ideation and buying process, Mark?
0: So I agree with you that I I see it as a, a communication breakdown between client and distributor. I think it has also a lot to do with the degree to which the distributor challenges their end client. Now that may not be yeah. technologically oriented, but the whole idea of how a distributor engages their end client to better understand what business objectives they're trying to solve. Um, so, I think I think that's a part that you could also include in here in terms of something that's broken because if a distributors not asking those questions, not as in, not engaging their end client in that deep manner, then it's kind of garbage in, garbage out. And, and so, I think that that's on the distributor to to, to, yeah. to
1: do that. To- To that point, Mark, that's, by the way, why many of us send these cluttered PDFs to a customer. We're sort of doing some lazy consulting. We're trying to let the customer sift through it and tell us what they want. Um, instead of vetting with the customer and actually acting as that consultant looking to solve a problem so instead we send these cluttered pdfs and it frustrates them what's the difference with the cluttered pdf and the the, the 200 page catalog you just threw on their desk
0: or here's a link to forimprint.com tell me what you want right it's right. a little bit like that and right. i think right. and i think that the way the industry has grown up is that there you, you can argue there's a degree of convenience there so a client says to you Hey, we've got a trade show. It's going to be in Texas. We want it to be Texas themed. It's going to be fun, and we want some cheap ideas. The way a lot of distributors will go about that right now is they'll fire up a search engine, uh, they'll type in the search uh, into the search box "Texas." They'll get a bunch of Texas shaped uh, uh, koozies and stress toys and lapel pins and the like. They'll add them all into a presentation and then send them off to the customer. So I think right. that. that is, a, is is certainly a challenge and i think prevents a lot of the you know the true engagement that uh, that i think end clients are looking for these days that's ultimately the piece that we're going after and it's exciting if you know maybe promo is similar to other b2b dominated industries where the impact of online has been grossly misstated yeah. and that the true opportunity is in this sort of 80% that is still craving this creative consultative approach but they but they don't want to have a creative consultative approach if it's the way that creative uh, creativity and 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 the consultative approach was done 15 years ago because the buyer's expectations have moved into the amazon type world and that that's what they're defaulting to but if they have a great experience with a distributor that is able to effectively and efficiently deliver these ideas and and the process is streamlined and there's collaboration between the distributor and the end client. And then we're not this is nothing to say of the collaboration between the vendor and the distributor the in, in the in the back end side of the process. Right. That's truly where the biggest nut is to be cracked. And I think that that's the space that we're really trying to play in.
1: Yeah, and you mapped it well from our e-commerce conversation back to process. Because one of the biggest challenges, so if B2C is being rewired, if their brains are being rewired to appreciate fast and convenient shopping, and then they turn with their biggest budgets that they have, and the process is, is frustrating and slow, then it is a problem. One big challenge is that most folks, when they talk with their customers about service, they'll use generic terms. How are we doing How's our service to you, to which the customer is going to respond with generic answers. And they'll likely recall only the last big problem. Oh, you know, service is good. We had that problem with the misshipment, you know, but we got that resolved. It's all fine. Everything's going great. Great. And you move on and, and, and you say, can we do anything better for you? But (laughs) what's going on is that the customer can't typically articulate the frustrations that they're having. Because they, I think a lot of this is subconscious. So if you really want to fix things with your customer, we have to ask very specific and refined questions like, when we send you ideas, what do you love the most about that process? And what is irritating, frustrating, or just costs you more time? That will force the client to reflect. And and, and back of it all is this client's, you know, it's the the easy button, um, the dash button from Amazon, all of that has rewired the way they think that they want it faster, more convenient, and they want it to be easy. And so, you know, by, by the way, uh, as a sidebar, Jake Malishkovich of Promo Dealer will be leading a workshop at SKU Camp called Easy Over Everything, Simplifying Your Sales Process. So he'll cover things like why a commitment to easy will make or break your business from beginning client to end sales, how to find bottlenecks in your selling process, things like that. I digress. But getting back to your question, Mark, then the impact of the shopping cart on the customer's mind has been tremendous. The impact of the shopping cart as a purchasing function in in B2B has been tiny.
0: And I think it's a matter of translating what the shopping cart in the customer's mind really and truly means in the B2B context because I I don't – I don't think that a B2B buyer or actually I know that a B2B buyer that is a brand manager at a leading Fortune 500 company that has got a big budget to spend in promotional advertising and they've got a thorny business problem to solve. They're looking to drive engagement with customers They're looking to drive engagement with influencers. They've got a big product launch. They've got something that's exciting. That's going to have a profound impact on their business. And they're choosing to invest in promotional advertising to accomplish that goal. Okay. All that stuff. And yeah. I think what we've been arguing is that the majority of the spend in our industry is, is focused around that spend. It's, it's, whether it's a fortune 500 buyer or whether it's a small business that's looking to invest a certain sum of money, they're all looking to accomplish some kind of business objective. In that case, are they, does, if if the distributor says to their customer with that, with that business objective, Hey, go take a look at my online catalog where you can see 850,000 products and you can search. My, my, my guess is what happens, or actually I know because I have uh, many, 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 many years on the it. distributor side, is that I think the knee-jerk reaction is that the B2B buyer at first says, this is great. I love this. My my distributor is really up with the times. And I love the fact that I can go and and scroll through all of this stuff. But then after a moment or two, that's when the panic and the frustration sets in because that buyer's like, I can't find what I'm looking for on this website because I'm actually looking to accomplish way more than just finding a product in the shape of uh, a stress toy in the shape of Texas in red. Okay. And, and I think that that's when things start to, you start to hit a wall and it's like the kid in a candy store that all of a sudden realizes they consume too much candy and they start to melt down. And so I think that that's when the role of the traditional distributor then comes in where the end client is looking for their expertise and then i think the question is how do you deliver that expertise in a way that is efficient and as pleasing as the shopping cart experience that to me is a, an interesting proof point that if you're if you're in the business of providing strategic and creative value to your End client, And I think that we've illustrated that end clients are really looking for that. If they're not and they already know what they want, they're either buying it on for imprint or they're going to the Robin uh, promotional products uh, store where all of the ideas and creativity has been injected at, at the outset. And all they're doing is they're just buying a product off the company store program. But if any other buyer that doesn't fall into those two categories, and I think we've articulated that that is about 90 80 to 90% of the industry at this point, um, they're, they're, they're going to a distributor and expecting some li- level of strategic and creative insight. And so the question is that if you're that distributor who's got the creativity and the strategy all down, but the system you're using is taking you forever and there's bottlenecks and it's a, a mishmash of ideas and there's no sales pipeline, and there's no collaboration with the end client, and no ability to engage, then your system's broken. And that's what leads to the frustration on the end client side and forces them to run into the hands of a four imprint because they're like, at least it's easier. I don't have to deal with the BS of some disorganized salesperson. I can just go and buy my product online. But I then think that the strategic and the creative insights that the stuff that the original distributor could have offered now falls by the wayside. And I think that's a shame. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Skewcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to Skewcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.com/skew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening.